Hello, Angela Scanlon here in the hot seat for the Graeme Norton Radio Show podcast with Waitrose for one day only. As Graeme warms his voice up for the Eurovision, I have the absolute pleasure of chatting to Danny Mack. Good morning, Danny. Morning, Angela. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. How are you? Yeah, grand, thanks. Have I missed a name? So Danny Mack, like, where, is, yes. this, is that your stage name? Did you drop a yeah, actually, name? I, I dropped my surname. Yeah. yeah, I dropped my surname, and it's uh, so Danny Mac stuck. It was it, it was always because Mac is my middle name. Yeah, and that okay. comes from my granddad's side. He was McGregor. McGregor. And then I, yeah. So when I and it's obviously Scottish, and um, and when I came to choose my name, uh, my name was was gone with equity because you can't have the same name as someone else. I see. And so um, it was always going to be a natural choice, really, because mm-hmm. I. That was kind of my nickname. People just called me Danny Mac all as one, really, or okay. Macca. So. Yeah, Macca. Nice. Um, and tell <laughs> me this. Are you all set? So if, for anyone who hasn't seen Assassins or heard about it, um, it is, of course, Stephen Sondheim's, you know, it's a massive hit. It's, it's toured the world. For people who haven't heard about it, set, set it up for us. So it's um it's basically it's it's kind of, it's a device that sets allows us to see um, the assassins of or attempted assassins of American presidents put into one room, mm-hmm. and it's it, it kind of sounds kind of drab, but then there is this like a brilliant sort of barbershop quartet where they sing about how wonderful guns are, and obviously it's all very ironic and very it's all American. To make a yeah, exactly, and um and obviously we know they are not wonderful, mm-hmm. but um the it's it's the point that it makes is it. It enables us to see how history can repeat itself and what pushed these people to do these these terrible things. But in these characters' eyes, they they were heroes. They thought they were doing the right things, or they were just outright insane. So to put them all into one room and let them play this scene out, and it's in like ninety minutes. There's no interval. It runs straight through, yeah. and it really is a magnificent piece. Like the writing alone and script work on it is is phenomenal. And seeing these characters converse and meet and talk is is amazing. And then you've got the music of Stephen Sondheim, who is a genius, probably, maybe arguably one of the greatest musical theatre writers of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's, he's kind of known as the Shakespeare of musicals, essentially. And we lost him recently, um, about 18 months ago, he passed mm-hmm. away. So this is the first time this show's been done since since that's happened. And yeah. the estate are really on board with a new concept that we've got, um, where we're kind of changing it. It was usually set in a fairground, and we are setting it at a kind of right-wing presidential rally which um, is quite prevalent and up to date so it's very interesting to see these characters in that environment and so does it feel like it comes with an added pressure then if you've kind of you know played with the original yeah it does really um and we we were chatting about this recently in the rehearsal room because it's it's such a well-respected piece you know and for a lot of people who like who know the show it's one of their favourite Stephen Sondheim shows, shows which so is So they crazy. come back again and yeah. again. Oh, my God, yeah. and um, But it doesn't get done for very long because it takes... It usually has quite a solid, strong cast of mm-hmm. people because it's very much an ensemble piece. You know, there's not just two lead actors. There's, you know, eight or ten people kind of sharing the whole 90 minutes. Yeah. And... Um, and that's why that's another thing we've got this wonderful company, which is what's great, and I think it's what's allowed us to really play and toy with the idea. And our incredible director Polly Findlay is the person who came up with the concept, and so to sort of run with with her great mind and and have her at the helm of it is 
kind of makes us all feel safer. Mm-hmm. But we have had to have all of sometimes the state and, um, you know, agree to the idea and so, sort of back us up. And they've been really helpful and supportive. So, And you mentioned it's 90 minutes nonstop. Obviously on theatre, it's a very, you know, it's a very demanding medium. Does it, I mean, do you, how do you get match fit for that? Is there a kind of process that you work towards? Yeah, well, um, good question, actually. It is, it is a tough one mm. when you're coming into a gig like that. Um, but we, yeah, we, I mean, we get our a solid five. We've actually got quite a long rehearsal process on this, thankfully. Yeah. So we've been in, we've been doing, we just finished our third week. We've got another couple of weeks and then we go into the theatre and start teching it where we get all the lights and the sound and the props and the set and all the costumes. So we do that for a few days and then we actually get a week of previews where we are live to a live audience and we play the show out but it doesn't get reviewed until the end of that week. And then we've just got two weeks after that to run it. So okay. it's not a huge run, unfortunately, but um, it's it's going to be a really exciting one. Mm. And actually, I imagine the 3rd to the 24th of June, that feels like you can go, you know, go hell for leather for that knowing that you don't have to sustain. So your stamina, you can kind of leave it all out there, can't you? Yeah, exactly. That's kind of the, the, the plan, you know, and with the rehearsal process where you're working um, from early in the morning till till late in the evening every single day or well, six days a week mm-hmm. and then we'll we'll get that up so hopefully hopefully it will feel like when we're just doing the 90 minutes of an evening we've got that stamina yes. it's just shifting that stamina from the daytime to the nighttime that's the problem yeah the old clock <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the body clock <laughs> um tell me this now i'm going to take you back a little bit because a lot of people will know you from playing dodger in hollyoaks from 2011 to 2015 during that time danny you'll know where i'm going you were voted three times as Soap's Sexiest Man and twice as the Sexiest Male at the British Soap Awards. Now, is that something that haunts you or, you know, is there some sort of plaque pride of place in the utility room? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's. I think it's the older I get, the more pride of place it takes, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, at, at the time, I mean, it's never not going to be flattering, is it? Mm-hmm. Let's be honest. It's, I mean, it, don't get me wrong. It is categorically a stupid award. So it doesn't need to exist. <laughs> and I'm glad that we progressed past the point of that award existing anymore. Yes. Um, I always tell everyone that they retired it because of me. Um, <laughs> Can't beat them. Can't beat them. <laughs> that was it. But it's never going to get any better than that. Uh, but we know that's not true. No, so, well. Um, uh, it's yeah, there so, you're hanging exactly. on to it so I, I hang on to it yeah because it's um it's something i'm going to embarrass my daughter with i think for the rest of her life yeah great i mean i feel like there'll be lots of those things danny <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's kind yeah, of the right. nature of the gig isn't it yeah exactly <laughs> now you were the runner-up on strictly i recently i do a chat show in ireland and i had Oti recently on the show and we talked about she subsequently won with calvin fletcher and then with bill bailey but she talked yeah, rub it in i'm sorry she <laughs> <laughs> talks about your samba yeah. as one of the most kind of memorable, pivotal moments in her life, not just in her time on Stru- Strictly. She said you were, you were on stage, everyone had done samba before, but they hadn't done this like wild African-inspired samba, which, you know, obviously was very um, emotionally charged for her. She was really invested in it. But she said people halfway through were on their feet, roaring. Yeah, it was, it was, I mean, I, I, and I'm exactly the same. It is, it was like a, a, 
I don't know whether to say like life affirming, life changing mm. moment, but it's one of those moments that in my life I, I genuinely will never forget. It was it, all, when you do strictly, it's already, and and I know it sounds so cliched, and people are like, it's the best time ever, and I'm sure people haven't had the best time ever, but it's a really special show. Everyone that makes it is amazing. So, and you're geared up, you're invested in it, and luckily for me, I had nothing else. Off. Yeah, you know, I wasn't a presenter still having to nip off and go and do work or anything. I'm an actor. Yeah. I, I had the break. I wasn't going to try and squeeze in anything else. And I just committed to doing that because I saw it as an opportunity for me to learn and train and just just better myself, really, because mm-hmm. I knew I could use those skills later, hopefully. And yeah. I did. Yeah. Um, but when that happened, it was it was electric. Like we went out there and I mean, me and Oti had our own journey. And and for me, you know, her trying to get the confidence out of me, being myself on screen and try to get up there um, was was really terrifying for me. So once we got to that week 10, and you know we got better and better and better, but something happened with this routine. And like you said, Oti was so invested in in the style of it. The, the people who choose the music, and the Jason, who's amazing, who sort of oversees all of the routines, he, he creates a show called Burn the Floor. And it's one of his big songs he uses on that show, and no one's ever been allowed to use it, mm. strictly. And he let Oti have it, but he said, if you mess this up, he said, I will kill you. And so <laughs> he came into the rehearsal room and I didn't know what we were producing because I've never done that dance style before. I've never yeah. danced like that. So I just did what Oti told me to do and we rehearsed it. We performed it for Jason. And I remember he came over to me, grabbed my face and just kissed me because he was so proud of what we had looked like that we hadn't messed it up. Yeah. And um and uh, my God, he's he's such a great guy as well. And he's so helpful. But I mean, what Oti did with that routine, Insane. And then we went out. Yeah, because then we set up to go out on the Saturday and do it, you know. Mm-hmm. So it started, and I think we were first up that week. And yeah. we had just got 40 on the week before in, in Blackpool. So, so a lot you know, to live you, up to. Yeah, and you think maybe you've, you've already peaked then. Mm. And we honestly, we didn't know how it was going to be. We didn't know if it was going to be received well or, or go like that. Yeah. But something happened. Like, it was like an explosion of energy in that room. Yeah. It was wild. Amazing. And you kind of say that idea of, of you, you know, being yourself, I suppose, and Oti trying to get that out of you. Because I think for an actor, you know, you often, not that you hide, but you're you're presenting as somebody else. So people know a character as opposed to you. So I can imagine how that might be, you know, difficult to show yourself in front of however 10 million people. But equally, you're very directable, aren't you? Um, as what do you mean, as yourself? Yeah, you no, know, like as an actor, you're trained. Yeah. You're not going, excuse oh, yeah, yeah, me, yeah. that's not how I am. You're kind of thinking, Oti, tell me what to do and I'll do it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's there's that completely. And we, you know, we had a great rapport because mm. from a performance, every show, every routine for, of our hours, which is why I think people just took to to us as a partnership so yeah. well. Like the feedback we got was so positive all the time. It was lovely. And I think it's because I went in there with, I need a character, I need a reason for doing the moves. I need a reason for dancing. And Oti was like, well, these are the steps you've got to do. So the combination of 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 how meeting why was like it was like we had our own little mini performance, mini show, mm-hmm. mini musical every every night, mini ballet, yeah. essentially. So it it just sort of it it became completely understandable. And I think people went, oh, I really loved the story. I loved the story of the dance every week, yeah. rather than just getting out there and doing steps. So I think people were able to connect to us and connect to the routines. And that's what made them so special. Well, if you haven't, go and watch the Samba. I mean, go and watch them all, but Danny McAnoti Mabuse's Samba is is worth a watch on a Saturday morning. Thank you so much, <laughs> Danny. And good luck. Danny stars as Booth in Assassins at the Chichester Festival Theatre between the 3rd and the 24th of June. Tickets are available at cft.org.uk. Thank you so much for being with me this morning, Danny.
Thanks, Angela. Lovely All right, chat care. really soon. Bye-bye. Ta. We cross now to Liverpool where Graham is joined by Maria McCarlane and we will find out who receives douce poids for the best response to Graham's guide. Sorry. Why, thank you very much, Angela. Yes, it is me, Graham Norton, from Liverpool as the Eurovision bunting gets taken down. Here's what I've been up to. Comedian Sam Morrison is bringing his stand-up tour Sugar Daddy to the Soho Theatre in London. Kelly Jones of Stereophonics has a new band and a big announcement to make about this summer. And Marie and I have some dilemmas to deliberate in Graham's Guide. Here she is to kick us off. Ah, oh, Graham, I feel for you, my friend, this morning. I do. I've got a bad head, but you did a very good thing by not drinking. But just even staying up that late and having to listen to those endless people thinking they're hilarious, <laughs> doing their jury votes, it was like, oh my gosh, that is too and much. Because well done. Because there's that five. Se- because there's that five. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you very much. And because there's that five-second delay when you're doing the jury thing, there's a five-second delay when you're doing the jury thing, so you can't talk to them. So you just have to say hello and then let them get on with it. And some of them, oh, they turned it into a meal. I mean, you don't want to talk to them anyway, frankly, do you? (laughs) Well, no, a few of them look like a good time. Uh, A few of them kind of think, oh, I'd like to knock around Talon with you. But but no, most most of them just think, oh, give us the 12 points. Yeah, really. You're tapping your watch thinking, please, you know, time is getting on. I've got to get up for a radio show in the morning. Just give us the points. But the suit looked marvellous. I mean, they got their money's worth from you last night, Graham. You were presenting and you were in your commentary box. You were doing fabulously funny skits with popcorn. Ha, ha, ha. You know, you know and, what that was for, um, that skit? That skit, that skit. I only found this out afterwards because I was thinking, this isn't very funny. I'm doing it. Uh, but apparently it was to promote... <laughs> this is so sweet of the EBU. That's the Eurovision Broadcasting Union. It was to promote uh, sales of the DVD of Eurovision. And you've got to think, who's going to tell the EBU the last DVD was sold in about 2011? <laughs> <laughs> that is hilarious, no. isn't it, really? I know. They're still flogging them out of the back of their car. Uh, good Even luck I to them. I know it's all about the streaming now. All about the streaming. But um, I know you've mentioned it already today, but hi, I, do you know the unifying power of music? When the world goes to, you know, doggy do, as we know things are doing, there's a war in Ukraine, etc., etc. Uh, and uh, the, the unifying power, you'll never walk alone. When you all walked on that stage in that kind of lineup, my eyes just kind of involuntarily sprung tears because that song is so amazing. And it does mean that Europe is behind Ukraine, etc., etc. We don't want to get too political, but, you know, there is something that we all feel about music, especially in times of stress. And it's gone Eurovision from a kind of silly thing to a cultural event well done to the all the people in liverpool that put that show on and all your presenters hannah waddingham standout star i have to say no, there's lots of things also... graham on my twitter yeah oh yes no what, what i was what, no what, i was going to say there's lots of things on my twitter feed this morning saying hannah waddingham has an amazing voice why doesn't she represent us next year um, and she is brilliant, of course, but I kind of think, you know, we did have Bonnie Tyler, we, we had the older people, we had Engelbert Humperdinck, who, you know, is very old. How old do you um, think Hannah Waddingham is? <laughs> no, but she's, it's a young person's game. I mean, she's probably 48, 49, something like that, but it's, it's, yeah, is that right? Um, but yeah, yeah. it is the young people, you've got to kind of 
grab people by the testosterone and the pheromones, as it were. And, you know, that's how it works, I think, these days. It's all about staging as well, of course, and the song. Do you think, Graham, yes. I just have to ask you a question here, ask you a question. Yes, um, yes. Is it, everyone seems to be trying to recreate a titanium. You know, Euphoria was pretty close to it, which was Sweden's last winner. Um, mm. Everyone seems to be trying to recreate that or something from Game of Thrones. And... Whilst I don't mind Sweden, I didn't want it to win. I have to tell you. What do you think? Oh, who did you who did you want to win? I kind of I wanted Poe 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 to win because that was the only one I could remember. Mm. The song about Edgar Allan Poe with the two girls, yeah. and I also liked Belgium for its eighties kind of gayness. I thought that was lovely. Yeah, it was lovely. Really and nice. um, Finland was the was the front runner in the crowd. You could absolutely tell. Couldn't you though? I mean, it was slightly. I felt. I felt for Lorene in a way because you know she won, but the crowd. She wasn't would have popular. Much preferred. Yeah. Well, she was. I mean, I mean she was the... popular. In that, you know, she she got a lot of votes. It was interesting that that the the, the, the televote was so different. I mean, that Finland got was it three hundred and seventy or something. Yeah. I mean, it was nuts. The televote. So he must have got so many twelves across the board from all the. Oh, uh, and it made my heart hurt when he lost because you know the the brilliant voting system that it's only taken me three years to figure out um, has you know makes it very exciting at the end. There's it all changes, and so I thought, oh, I really hope you win. I really hope you win. The good thing about Eurovision these days is though that there will be these songs will still be hit. I think, don't you? Even though they didn't win. Well, even Po, 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 even, and Finland. Yeah, and indeed, May Muller. I, you know, I really feel for May Muller. She did nothing wrong, um, and that is a catchy song. I think being in last place, but you know, performing twenty sixth is not good. And that was no one's fault. That was just pulled out of a bag. That was just the luck of the draw. Yeah, the um, sound wasn't great think, on May Muller though. Have to say. Well, of course, in the stadium, in the stadium, we couldn't hear a thing uh, because you know seven thousand people were singing her song for her. <laughs> so it was it was insane inside the arena, and uh, when she finished, the cheer went on forever. I've never heard anything like it. You know, me and the the ladies presenting, we were just kind of talking but we even could we couldn't even hear ourselves uh it was, i like you saying the ladies uh, presenting like that the ladies well, presenting. You know, well i could name alicia julian hannah yes, there you go yes, um, yes, oh, can i just say a big 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 uh up to julia though uh she broke my heart every time she spoke ukrainian in ukrainian you could see a kind of lit you could just see a little kind of glitter in her eye because I think she was so moved to be on a world stage and and speaking her language and I uh, yeah I I really really um, enjoyed working with her and talking to her and I was chatting to her afterwards last night and she's such a nice woman and uh, heading back to uh, Ukraine I think today or something oh, um, you know yeah I mean that is a down to earth with a bang can you imagine just ooh. Terrible. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I really, really loved her. Um, yeah, but you did really one wonderfully, and I didn't see the Ukrainian designer suit, sadly. When was that? Oh, one? that was on Thursday. That was on Thursday. Oh, missed it. It was, oh. it was featured in the semi final. Juicy. Juicy. Um, how many yeah, hours that, sleep did you have, that. please? I don't know, but I, I feel like enough. I feel like a laugh. I mean, I probably would, couldn't operate heavy machinery, but uh, I'm doing okay. <laughs> well, you've I'm got buttons okay. to press, Graham. You have buttons to press. Big, you are titanium with gonna, buttons to press. <laughs> I'm going to press one of them now. Hey. 
Virgin Radio. Okay, mm-hmm. have a little sleep. Here's the first problem. Keep one ear open. <laughs> <laughs> Dear Graham and Maria, I've been working in my job for six years, which I had zero experience for, but managed to work my way up in the male-dominated workplace, dealing with mechanics and engineers, and I love it. Four years in, my manager changed into most incompetent man I've ever had the misfortune to work with. He makes so many mistakes, blames other people and lies continuously to get himself out of trouble. When he's confronted, he gaslights people to think it to make them think it, that they are at fault. This has led to me having to take on his responsibility as people won't approach him anymore, knowing he is so useless. Three directors, the company secretary and everyone who works in sales has complained to the owner about him. The mechanics now have no respect for him and it's got to a stage where they they are drinking on their lunch breaks and coming back to work on the cars, which I was left to deal with. It got so much that last year I was signed off work with stress and depression for six weeks. The final straw is that when my father died a few weeks ago, the manager mouthed off that I was a disgrace and selfish to take so much time off. When I approached him about this, he said it was water under the bridge, like I'd done something wrong. I've spoken to the owner about his ways, along with my manager's inappropriate comments referring to my weight, fertility, or calling me hot stuff. I was told that he wouldn't have he wouldn't have meant it. The owner said he was aware I was a running the department, but has said nothing to my manager. Do I give up the job I worked extremely hard to make a good name for myself in, or suck it up and be miserable with my moron manager. And that is from Abigail in Winchester. Abigail in Winchester, you have painted a picture of a really horrible human being there. And I'm not surprised you are stressed and depressed by this. It seems to me, Abigail, that this is a waiting game. The owner of the company knows this. It is incredibly dangerous for the engineers to be working on cars after they've had a drink at lunchtime. This has to be told to the owner. It's like everybody is saying to the owner, you have to get rid of this man. He has changed the whole workplace. No one has any respect for him. He is a danger to your job. And yet, what does what does he have over the owner? Why is the owner not getting rid of him? It seems insane. But it is a waiting game, and it doesn't sound like you'll have to wait that long. You have to unify within the company to go as a collective and say, we cannot work under this man anymore. He is incompetent. He is a danger. He is a gaslighter. He makes inappropriate remarks. There's a list here, as long as your arm, that human resources would not tolerate. So I just think... You have to form a collective with everyone else, with the engineers, with the directors, etc. This cannot go on for health and safety reasons as well as your sanity, Abigail. What do you think, Graham? Well, the trouble is, I think often, you know, we kind of think, oh, you must go to HR, you must do this, da, da, da. This sounds like a very small company. It sounds like company, a garage yes, yes. and there's a, you know, a, and a guy owns it and then there's this manager and then Abigail does what she does and then there's the, the people who work on the cars and stuff. So there probably isn't a proper HR department. I mean, she's done everything she can. She's gone to the owner. What interests me is what changed? 
what happened to this guy? Because he wasn't this manager when Abigail started. This is new. He's become wildly incompetent. So I wonder what he's going through. Does the owner know something that Abigail doesn't? That So he's kind of going, oh, I can't do anything right now because he's dealing with X, Y, and Z that we don't know about. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You feel like it would, it would be helpful if everyone knew everything because if there is something that he's dealing with that means he's taken his eye off the ball and really become incompetent at work then everyone needs to know but i think what's really strange about this is i think this problem will resonate with so many people i think so many people work for work with people who are really bad at their jobs and for some reason they get away with it. They just get, where you feel like, hang on, if I did that, I'd be out in my ear. How come that person can do this? So I, and I, I, it's wildly frustrating, but I guess Abigail must somehow just disengage in a way, you know, just do your job and, and just get out of there and live your life because well, she had to take time if you off invest too much emotionally in this, yeah, and that makes me think that she hopefully can get um, uh, referred to someone who can help her. And because I think someone might, if she gets um, some counselling, it might help her kind of switch off in a way and not get so wound up by this situation. Because that that's that's the only thing that can help. Because nothing's really going to change with the owner and the manager. There's something going on there that we don't know about, Abigail doesn't know about. Um, so Abigail, if she wants to stay in this job, it's not about sucking it up so much as sort of shutting it down. Just kind of going, okay, that is going on over it. there. I'm, yes, I'm doing, I'm doing my job. And there you go. Um, but like I say, I, I, I weirdly, I think this is a far more common situation than you'd like to think. The people work with bungling incompetence. I like the way she calls him my moron manager. She's had it up to her high teeth. She's done. She's done it. done. Dev responses part one. And my favorite responders today will be getting a bottle of <gasps> Leckford Estate Brut. Mmm, sparkling English wine uh, grown on Waitress's own vineyard. So you know it's good. That's a marked quality. Uh, it is exceptional uh, English sparkling wine. It's, uh, you know, it is champagne. They just can't call it that. Leckford Estate Brut. That's what you're getting. What should she do? Should she, uh, what should she do? It would be great. This is from Catherine in Newton the Willows. How lovely. It would be great to think that there is an easy solution to Abigail's problem. But unfortunately, sometimes all you can do is cut your losses. Prioritize your own mental health and find another job where you will be valued and put this behind you. Yes, point out the unsafe practices and the bullying for the sake of the ongoing safety of others and your own conscience. But then leave and don't look back. We spend too much of our lives at work for it to be such a miserable experience. Um, Ruth in Glasgow. Uh, you might be at risk of holding on to a job that is making you ill. Please walk away. The boss is not protecting you. You can make a better life somewhere else. In January, I started a new job after a toxic, stressful job. I earn less money, but I've never been happier. A new job is a new life. Take control and good luck. And that's from someone who knows. They've done it. Uh, James from Essex says, I would advise that she should go to Citizens Advice to get help on what can legally be done. See if you can force the owner's hand on the matter by saying you're pursuing external action. I mean, that does sound serious, doesn't it? External action. Unlikely she will have any action against her taken due to her unfair dismissal rights. James sounds like he does as well. 
Uh, Nick from West Malling in Kent says, as a manager, it makes my blood boil that this situation happens all too often still. You and others have tried talking to the owner and nothing has changed. It doesn't seem he wants to address the issue. Therefore, it seems it's time to think of yourself and look for another job. In the meantime, keep precise records of all incidents and if necessary, you can use them for constructive dismissal case. Remember, you are in the right here. Thank you so much for all that practical advice. Uh, hopefully, Abigail found it useful and I'm going to give the Leckford estate brute to Ruth in Glasgow because she's been through it and, uh, and she's not earning as much now so uh, let's give her a, a bottle of sparkling wine Leckford estate brute Graham's Guide. Oh, yeah. now this second problem Graham is it might sound funny but somebody has taken the time to write into us so here we are dear Graham and Maria I have a dilemma that began over a week ago I was busy in the house downstairs when I heard a banging coming from somewhere in the house upstairs. As it began to get louder, I went in search of the trouble and found that in my back bedroom where the curtains were closed, the noise was louder. Opening my curtains, I was looking into the eyes of a large, what was it, seagull perched on the apex of the house extension. Looking steadily at me, he carried on banging his beak against my glass pane, making it very dirty. Then he backed. Then he began backing away and moving his beak up and down, as if he was berating me for neglecting him. As funny as this sounds, my friend the seagull returns twice a day, and I can hear his banging on the window wherever I am in the house, so I know he's arrived. I love being in the garden, and now I'm a bit wary of going out there. I'm very fed up with his visits. Someone is obviously feeding him nearby and he doesn't have a sat-nav and makes mistakes their house for mine. Having lost my husband in 2020, my friends have suggested that he's returned to me in seagull form to say hello, as he loved fish and chips. And the seagulls here in Bexhill are notorious for pinching them. Very funny, but not helpful. My neighbour also noticed his regular presence and offered words of advice to not feed him in case he brings his mates around. Helpful, but not addressing the problem I have. Can you give me any words of advice? And that is from Margaret in Bexhill. Well, Margaret in Bexhill, you seem to have mistaken us for ornithologists, which we most definitely are not. Now, you know, yes, it's annoying, Margaret in Bexhill. I get it. But... We have to learn in this world, this is one of the lessons that even last night's Eurovision taught us, that we all need to learn to coexist. It's a big old world here and there's lots of creatures around. Having just acquired a garden myself, Margaret Bexwell, I am coexisting have with you? foxes and indeed badgers. <laughs> and, you know, that can be challenging too. I quite like your little seagull coming twice a day. You know, in the house, you can rely on him. He's like he or her. He's like clockwork. It's a little visit. It's, yeah, banging on the window. Open the window, see what happens then. Then he can't bang Don't on do it. That. He might just, you know. <laughs> why? He won't fly in. Seagulls oh, oh. do not yeah. Meanwhile, another letter from Margaret. I took your advice. I now can't get a seagull out of my house. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, I, I mean, think Margaret. Margaret, Margaret, the, the, Margaret, the clue is in the name of where you live. It's Bexhill on Sea. Yeah. <laughs> there are going to be seagulls. Yeah. That's what, you know, you get all the lovely waves and the splashy and the fish and chips. You get all that loveliness, but you do get giant seagulls the size of dogs. So, uh, and that's about, I, I do who I really like in this. I really like Margaret's friends. Her husband only died two years ago, three years ago, and already they're cracking jokes. Oh, that's your husband back in the form of a seagull. Well, they're trying to make it, they're trying to, you know, make light of this for her and, you know, make her see the funny side. And, you know, soon this seagull will be dead, Margaret, and then you'll miss him. Uh, you know. <laughs> How long do seagulls live? You you live by the sea, Maria. You must yeah, know yeah. that. Yeah, no, I know the seagull problem very well, and that's why I'm saying you have to coexist. They live quite a long time when they, you know, mate every year and you see the little goslings or whatever they're called growing up. And so this is nature. <laughs> it's part of life. It's a circle of life. And you will miss him when he's gone because then you will be in the no, house. She alone, won't. No, tapping on the window. <laughs> she will not miss this thing when it's gone. I tell you what, you will want. Margaret, I'm friends of mine lived in Brighton and they used to have seagulls nesting. And that is so noisy because it's endless. It's all day. It's the babies screaming. It's the parents yeah. shouting at them. It's absolutely awful. So at well, least I this guy is well, just... Graham, but you do get used to it. It's sort of like just becomes background white noise um, because you live by the sea. So you're right, Graham. Margaret in Bexhill has chosen to live by the sea. If you don't want a seagull problem, go and move to Tunbridge Wells or something. Is that near? I don't know. <laughs> no, that's quite near the sea. Um, I'm, I, I wonder if there are practical things you can do, though. Is there, you know, the way you can put up, you know, people put up a statue of an owl um, and it's supposed to scare doesn't away work. something. Tried all of those oh. things, Graham. It doesn't work. Seagulls are very canny and they're getting very clever and they will take over the world at one point. But no, I think you can't, you can get in touch with the council to say I've got a seagull problem. But, you know, if your council's anything like mine, you'll never hear from them again. <laughs> and also... <laughs> because you live by the sea. Yeah, but also a seagull problem. It's a seagull problem. It's this one seagull. Um, I mean, How does she yeah. know it's the same one? How does she know that it's not a series of seagulls that are gaslighting her into thinking yes, it's it could only be, they, one? They could, be work, they could be working in shifts. Yeah, you're, it's, your, it's lunchtime, Gary. Can yeah. you go to Margaret? You're doing Margaret tonight. Yeah. you doing Margaret? No, I did it last night. <laughs> Pretend you're her husband. She loves that. Oh, stop it now. <laughs> Sorry, Margaret, we've been very unhelpful. I think the Virgin Radio listeners will be better at this problem, but no, we they have won't. been hopeless. No, no because they won't. it's not really a problem. I mean, bless Margaret for... I mean, bless her for writing in, but, uh, you know, we are now talking about <laughs> a woman yeah. who lives by the seaside who has a seagull in her garden. I mean, yes. I don't think anyone can paint that as a problem. That's just... That's we have just enjoyed mad. it, though, that Margaret. Is. We have enjoyed it, have. so thank you for writing in. But really... Yeah, it's like living in, Liver it's like living, li living in Liverpool and not liking the Scouse accent. I mean, you moved here. <laughs> uh, that's, uh, that's just it. That, that's, that's what happens. Good uh, that you've managed people... to get Liverpool in there, Graham. I like it, I like it, because that is where I'm, you are broadcasting from this morning. I am, but you know what, I'm looking out the window, this is so sad, I'm looking out the window, and they're taking down all the Eurovision bunting, all the oh, Eurovision hoarding, oh. it's all taken down, poor Liverpool. Leave it up, leave it up all year, it's a bit like Christmas lights, isn't it? It brings joy. <laughs> 
Yeah, responses part two. There they go, the seagulls. And my favourite responders will be getting a bottle of that Leckford Estate Brute. Uh, Bob D from Kent says, Give the gift of friendship to your neighbour. Drop a chip over the fence every morning and Sydney the seagull will soon be their best friend. <laughs> Ruth and Hayward's Heath. My sister had a seagull that would visit daily and knock on her window and she does not even live by the sea. My sister embraced the visits and called the gull Die Gull. We are Welsh. Ruth explains helpfully. Uh, she looked forward to the visits. Di then moved on and stopped visiting, which my sister uh, missed. So Margaret embraced the visits while they last. It's it's a lovely thing, if you say so, uh, Ruth. Uh, Helen and Hinkley, perhaps Margaret could get a photograph of Seagull and then stick it on the inside of the window. So Stephen Seagull will then think the house is already occupied. Susan and Hackney, oh dear, I had this with a rogue magpie. It would sit on the windowsill and, really, and press really hard on the window while eyeballing me. It was like it was possessed. One day, it got into my four-year-old son's room and was screeching about, making a mess everywhere, flapping. My son was hysterical. And I think, like, not laughing, just hysterical. To say it was Hitchcockian is an understatement. Shut the windows, yell at it. All right, all right. And uh, Tracy from Felixstowe, uh, what has she got for us? Uh, she says, it could be that the seagull is seeing its reflection and thinks it's a mate. Put a sticker on the window, that should do the trick. Well, there you go. Uh, I, do you know what? I, I sort of have to give the bottle of Leopard uh, <laughs> Estate to Tracy from Felixstowe because uh, that's really the only advice we got, apart from, you know, really enjoy these visits. Info enjoy this special one-on-one -on -one time with your seagull, Margaret. Uh, so, yes, the Leckford Estate Brute is going to Tracy from Felixstowe. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio. The show is called Sugar Daddy. I saw it at the Soho Playhouse just off Broadway in New York. Now it's coming to Soho in London. His name is Sam Morrison. Good morning to you, Sam Morrison. Good morning to you. <laughs> uh, now, you are on the west coast of America. It's quite early, I believe. <laughs> yes, I'm um, a different, I guess it's not quite morning here. It's 3 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> and what did you do? Did you set your alarm or did you stay up? I just stayed up all night. So I am well running done, on pure you. adrenaline right now. Thank you. I'm so <laughs> excited to, to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Well, no, Liz, I'm delighted because I loved the show. Now, I, I think before we talk about the show, we I feel like there should be a disclaimer that it is very funny. You will laugh a lot. <laughs> it's just it's just talking about it. We probably won't laugh very much. But uh, <laughs> but it is. I love it. That usually yeah. the disclaimer is is the other way around. Usually it's like there's a trigger. Oh. Here's a trigger warning. It's going to be sad. <laughs> but here's a trigger warning. It, it might be fun. You might have fun. No, it, you, you've done a really, I, I, I don't quite know how you did it, but you have turned something very sad into something hilarious. So oh it began, so you. basically, so tragedy befell you during COVID. Uh, t tell the listeners kind of the, the story behind this show. Sure. The show is, um, it's called Sugar Daddy. It's about meeting my late partner, Jonathan, at this gay bear festival called Spooky Bear in Provincetown and um, finding hope and humor in grief after his passing and uh he's yeah it's 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 a it's a very i'd say it's a it's a storytelling vulnerable solo show at its heart but it is also raunchy and silly and gets to all the kind of different parts of of this uh, experience that 
we don't talk about very much, but is so uh, sacred and and there's so much humor in it. And I just I, I, I find it fascinating that we are so uncomfortable talking about it. And um, yet it's something that we, we all go through if we're lucky. And, you know, because often we find, you know, uh, after funerals, when you're at that kind of gathering after funerals, and that is when people really do laugh hard after funerals. Mm-hmm. When did you when did you realize that you could do this, that this was it was possible for you to, to get on stage and, and mm. be funny telling the story? That's so, you know, as soon as it, the whole time I was there was humor the whole time. I mean, even from when he went to the ICU for the first time. I mean, there were jokes. I think I actually ha- have this joke in the show still. But the first thing he was uh, almost twice my age. And the first thing that the nurse said was he's so young. And I was like, hold on one second. Hi, mom. I just gave my mom. Can you repeat that again with no context? I mean, it was it was it was truly funny. Like there were funny. I was calling my best friend. I was like basically running jokes by her and without any idea of putting it on stage. I think getting to the stage was a different. The first time I did it on stage, it didn't really work. And I was like, ah, this isn't going to work. I'm going to try something else and then I, I just had that impulse to keep coming back to it and then it, it eventually got weird? to a point where it was so helpful for me and it felt so different than anything else I'd ever done and it just felt like I had to keep going so here's the thing so you get to that point where you get it on stage and you, you make it work watching it I was thinking okay Sam this is really funny it's really good how long mm. have you have you have you made rules in your head have you said okay I will I will stop doing this show at this point or are you just are you, are you just a performer and you've got a hit show and you're gonna do it forever that is such a good question that I don't know the answer to <laughs> okay <laughs> honestly I just I do it I do I just you just have to listen to yourself and figure out what's helpful for me. And it is an honest reflection of where I am, where I have been with my grief and where I am currently with my grief. And I talk about that on stage. So I think the second that it stops becoming helpful for me, I I think I will probably put it to the side and, and figure that out. Uh, we should uh, remind everybody that you are going to be at the Soho Theatre in London. Uh, you are getting on a plane and you're coming over here and you're going to be on, start on Wednesday and it runs to the weekend on Saturday. You can get tickets and information at Soho Theatre, all one word, uh, dot com. Um, what are the other things in your life that have helped you with grief? Oof, that's such a great question that have helped me with grief. Well, screaming about it on stage has been quite helpful. <laughs> um, honestly, the most helpful thing has absolutely been uh, a grief grief groups. I've been in a bunch of different grief groups, probably too many. I've been in three. I won all of them. And um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, it really is just that community feeling. It's, it's kind of the idea for the show is that I want it to feel like a very it, there are those moments you talked about those moments after a funeral when you're laughing so loud and i don't know what that is but it's this sort of like sacred feeling and it's kind of that feeling that i'm after with this show i mean when, in the grief group when we got to that point and we were all laughing so loudly and we all had lost partners and we were laughing at this thing that was terrible that happened to us it's so cathartic and i i think that in 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 the best version of this show it achieves a feeling that's very similar to that. Uh, absolutely, it absolutely does. And the the title "Sugar Daddy" it, it's not about Jonathan's wealth. It's about no. It's about it's about you. 
Yes, yes. The sh- well, the pun is because I got diagnosed with type one diabetes uh, about a year and a half ago now, almost two years ago now. And I wear this uh, glucose monitor. And uh, through the show, you learn about all the different various reasons that I like to think of Jonathan as my glucose monitor. Um, and the thing that people always said when we were together is that I'm a gold digger and he's my sugar daddy. But now in many ways, he literally is my sugar daddy because he's my <laughs> glucose monitor. And, Which, and actually, when you explain it like that, is not as funny in, in, <laughs> as it is, you know, when it all comes together in, in, in the show. But actually, I was talking to um, the actor James Norton, I don't know if you know him, and uh, he's diabetic. And when he's on stage, when he's doing a long play, he has to hide sort of bits of candy and stuff around the set. Um, mm-hmm. but, I, but because you've got that glucose monitor, does that mean you don't have to do that? Well, I like to put just like a big thing of juice on stage for everyone to see. Because <laughs> I feel like part of it is it's such an invisible disease. And that's part of the reason why it's so difficult. And, uh, you know, uh, one of the many reasons I like talking about it is because, A, I love complaining. And B, it's <laughs> something that I think is, you know, the way to get through invisible diseases is to make them visible. And I try to do that with the jokes. And, and so why not? you know, put a giant thing of candy up there too and, and you know, put it in your face for an hour. <laughs> and the thing that's on you, the monitor, is that just stuck on you or is it like pinned into you? Is it into your bloodstream? Oh, my Dexcom G6 is attached to me. Uh, I don't know why I plugged it like that. They are not a sponsor. I'm just so proud of We'll get them free now. We'll all get them for free. <laughs> I hope so. God, I hope they're listening. That would be huge. Because Nick Jonas has all the sponsors, and I'm coming for him. I uh, know. It's, so it's attached to me with a, a – it goes in with a needle, and then it leaves a little plastic filament behind, and it stays in there for 10 days. That's the glucose monitor. But if you want to talk about the insulin pump, that's a different story, and you have to change that every three days. I told you I like to complain. <laughs> but is it not easier just to inject yourself? It, it For some people prefer it, but at this point, with all this technology, they – the insulin pump and the glucose monitor communicate with each other and you can give it to yourself real time in very small doses. I think it makes more sense at this point to use both of those devices. Okay, fair, fair enough. I, I, you just like gadgets, don't you? You just like a stupid old syringe. <laughs> Look yeah. at this. I just, yeah, I like... I like to I like to show them off to daddies as a way to flirt. So I need, I can't show off a syringe. <laughs> Um, and tell me this um are do you feel like because you're in this show because you're talking about jonathan and you're you're dealing with your grief Mm -hmm. in this way in public um have you been able to move on have you been able to date again or are you still very much dealing with that relationship with jonathan yes and 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 no I wasn't a yes or no. I mean, it's not. It's not my business. It's not yet. my business, yeah. really. I was just interested. No, no. I, I. It is your business. I'm. I'm so excited to tell you all about it, and also everybody all about it. It is. It's something that, um, you know, it's that. It's that. There's no good term for. Probably the closest term would be moving forward with, because it's not. Okay, what I'm going to do here is I'm going to explain. The only way that I've been able to understand it is with this diagram. And I'm going to try to explain it, which I know this isn't the okay. best medium for that. Di- but the, there's a there's think of a ball and that's your grief. And then 
outside of that ball is another circle and it, it the ball is hitting right up against the edges of the circle and that is because the grief is pretty much taking con not control of you but it's you know it's such a big impact in your life yeah. it's all i could think about for such a long time and as your life moves forward that circle grows larger so there's more of a margin but that the size of the grief doesn't change so you 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 still I, I I still miss miss Jonathan every single day, and it, that intensity and the love has not changed. I still have those days in which I am I am crippled by it, but I also yeah. have um, been able to move forward and add so much to my life with him as a part of it. And what's gorgeous is that actually it's it's led to this great success and I imagine great personal happiness with the success of, of Sugar Daddy. Um, the show is so funny, Sam. I really, really enjoyed it. It's coming oh, to uh, London you. Soho Theatre uh, this Wednesday to Saturday, uh, SohoTheatre.com for tickets and availability. Uh, Sam Morrison, go to bed. Go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the tagline for the show. Sam Morrison, yeah. go to bed. <laughs> bye bye. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much, so much for having me. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio. Right, I am joined now by Stereophonics frontman Kelly Jones, but you're not wearing your Stereophonics hat today. We're talking about <laughs> Far From Saints, is that right? Hi, Graham. How are you, mate? I'm really good, and yourself? Yeah, very well. We're just uh, in rehearsals today. So, yeah, I'm wearing a Far From Saints hat. Um, we are going to be playing the... Um, Latitude Festival on the 22nd of July on the BBC Soundstage. Ooh, that's the big news out. We've done it. We've done it. That's the big news. That's what, that's, yeah. that's what I've just been given a piece of paper to say very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the Latitude Festival. You get all the, I mean, the lineup is, you're joining an amazing lineup. There's uh, Paul, Paolo Nutini, George Ezra, uh, loads of people, Proclaimers, all sorts. Latitudefestival.com for all of that yeah. information. And it's in, it's from the 20th to the 23rd of July in Henham Park in Suffolk. Is that right? That's right, yeah. Yeah, we, we played there 2019 with Stereophonics, so it's a great festival. And tell me this, now, the new band, Far From Saints, you sort of formed this band while you were doing a solo tour, is that right? <clears throat> yeah, I was doing a solo tour in 2019, and there was a band on stage with us opening up from Austin, Texas, called The Wind and the Wave. And um, I love their music, and I love Patty singing. And uh, we decided to do... Uh, like a cover version of Stevie Nicks and Tom Petty one night on stage and we felt it went really well. And then we just started writing some songs in the dressing room and on the bus and stuff like that. And we had about nine or ten songs very quickly and we recorded a bunch of them at the end of the tour. And we recorded like an album in nine days and unfortunately then the world stopped. So we recorded an album in nine days, but it took us four years to release it. So the album's, uh, <laughs> the album's going to be out in June now, so yeah. Oh, that's on the 16th of June, I can tell you now. Um, and you know what What struck me, Kelly, was, so you've been in the Stereophonics for so long. What yeah. was it like when you got together with these guys? Was it easy to pick a new band name? It's a great name, Far From Saints. Yeah, it's a good name. Patty came up with a name in the studio when we recorded. We had about 10,000 really bad names, and she said that one, and we thought that was quite cool. So, yeah, it's it's been really good, you know, to write songs with some different people and... um and then coming from like, it's like a Nashville angle. It's a very Americana sounding record, a bit Fleetwood Mac, a bit country, a bit folk. So it's been really lovely to to try to do something different and um, and singing with a, with a girl singer is is obviously a very, very different approach to, to vocals yeah. as well. So it's been really cool. And 
I mean, what is this? Is this like a side project? Where where are you with Stereophonics now? Are they that they still exist? Yeah, yeah. We we did a little gig on Wednesday night for a friend of ours. Just um, but we we you know last year we did all the stadiums and the arenas and stuff, and you know we've done twelve albums and uh, probably fourteen world tours and. I've just taken a little year to do some other other music with some different people, and I would imagine 2024 we probably start doing some some work again together. So, not the boys are all good. I mean, Richard, who's in Stereophonics, a bass player who I've been with since I was like three years old in school. He's he's playing live with us on the Far From Saint stuff. So, yeah, all still oh, mates, okay. all still going on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, oh, few. That's all right then. That's okay. <laughs> and 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 do they? What have they? Have you got feedback from them on the new music? Yeah, the boys like it. Yeah, I mean. It's going to be good, you know. It's it's going to be nice to play some some of the other guys playing like Paolo Nutini's band, and they're playing in Latitude on the same night as us. So we'll all hook up and see each other and have a few beers and stuff like that. No, it's it's a good it's a good healthy uh, uh, affair, let's say. It's like an affair. Do they mean because you're going to have to play some stereophonic tunes when you're at Latitude, aren't you? Or is it all going to be new? Um, we're not planning on doing any of that kind of thing. No, we're going to try to just get the record across and. Treater is a different thing, you know. There's seven of us on stage. It's a much different sound. So, um, so far, I can we, hear the we, crowd now. I can hear the crowd now. <laughs> if I get any banter from the crowd, we'll see how we go. But uh, at this point in time, <laughs> we, we're aiming to stick to where we're doing it. Yeah. And uh, we're going to play the the first single off the the new album. Um, yeah. It's called "Let's Turn This Back Around." Uh, tell us about the song. Tell us about writing it. Tell us about uh, where it came from. Uh, Patsy and I kind of did the lyrics to this. I mean, it, it, I guess it's the main theme of the, the top line of the song is about, you know, one one partner of the relationship is being away traveling, whether you're in a band or you're in the forces or wherever. And yeah. the, the relationship is different to the person back home. And it's just sang from two points of view. And, and Patsy and I kind of, kind of call and respond in that kind of angle and the vocal and that really. Oh, well, I'm really looking forward to hearing it. Uh, again, the Latitude Festival. It's latitudefestival.com if you want to get tickets uh, to see all those bands, but also Far From Saints, uh, Far From Saints uh, Kelly Jones' new band. And the album from Far From Saints is going to be out on Friday, the 16th of June, I'm told. Is that correct, Kelly? That's Yeah, that, that is correct. Okay. And, and you told me, so I, I'll trust you. <laughs> we'll both go to the shops on the 16th and see yeah, if we're right. Yeah, it'll be there. See if it's there. <laughs> And listen, you get back to rehearsal. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm looking Thank forward to hearing Graham. this. The new right. the new single from Far From Saints. Take care, Kelly. Bye-bye. Come on, baby, tell me what's the word, word Oh, yeah. That was ELO. Now we're playing Word Up. Uh, it's your chance to win a Graham Norton Waitrose gift box, including a reusable drinks cup. It's very lovely, racing green. Waitrose boot champagne, salted caramel truffles, balsamic vinegar, lots of other things. It is a prize worth winning. First up to try and get it is Wendy. Hello, Wendy. Hello, Graham. How are you doing? I'm very well. Better than I expected to be. Um, where, <laughs> where, where are you, Wendy? I'm in Plymouth in Devon. All right. And did you watch Eurovision last night? Yeah, we watched Eurovision last night. Uh, I've got a cinema in the basement of my house, so we watched it with the full surround sound. (laughs) Fantastic. Loved it. (laughs) Who who was there? Uh, There was my children, um, who you have actually said happy birthday to before, Logan, Logan's friend. He was... uh, my son and my daughter Carmen she was there and then two of my favorite people as well my friends Rebecca and Jack they were there 
Yeah, I mean, if you've got a cinema in your basement, you really ought to invite some people over. So uh, sounds amazing. All right, so you you know who won. So I'm going to play the winning song from Rurine. And it does a little clip. And uh, so here you go. Uh, Try and get the missing word. It's easy, Wendy. It's easy. Don't overthink it. Here's the clip. What do you think was the missing word? Sorry. Oh, she knows it. She knows it. I was singing it. I was singing it. Um, Yeah, the missing word was definitely tattoo. Let's see if you're right. Yes, Wendy's a winner. Well done, you. Uh, Thank you. You get that that Graham Norton with Waitrose gift box. It's winging its way to you in Plymouth. Wow. And I'm sure you can pop a a cork safely in your cinema basement. I'd love to go to cinema basement. Uh, (laughs) Is there anyone else you'd like to say hello to while you're on the radio, Wendy? Um, I'd like to say hello to, yeah, everyone in Plymouth. We we, we don't get a Waitrose even here, so, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I like that you come on the radio to plea. Can we, can we get a waitrose? Can we get a waitrose? Come on, Plymouth. Yeah. I mean, yeah, look, Wendy's, Wendy's got a cinema in her basement. She can, she can afford a bit of shopping. Uh, Wendy will keep you open. <laughs> Listen, well done. Thanks for playing, Wendy. Congratulations. Thank and that's you. on its way Thank to you. you. Lovely to speak right. to you. Thank you. Lovely to talk to you, too. Uh, very good. I'm sure we'll be playing another game of Word Up before too long, but that was Wendy. Congratulations to her. Hey, thank you so much for joining me on the Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. And have you clicked that follow button on all of our socials? Find us at Virgin Radio UK. Well, that's it for now. Speak to you soon. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio.